You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. This week's episode is going to be a compliment to last week. So if you recall, because I'm sure you listened, we talked about our top five favorite superheroes. So we thought, what should we do this week? Well, it seemed appropriate that we should talk about our five favorite or most notable, maybe I should call them supervillains to sort of round out this conversation. So with that in mind, we put some thought into who we like and why we like them. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask Noah to start us off. Well, yeah, um, I think this is just a good topic because supervillains, I I think in the 1950s through like maybe the 1980s and 90s, they were just purely evil, right? You know, you were always rooting for the hero. You didn't necessarily understand their intentions. But I especially say now, um, there's a lot more emphasis on the humanity of many of these uh, supervillains, you know, if they are human and their backstories and origins. Of course, we had Joker and, you know, we've had Spider-Man 2s, uh, but, you know, w- with a lot of Marvel movies and even DC movies now, you really get to dive deep into why they are supervillains. So they become less evil to you, but maybe more, you know, problematic, very troubled. And of course, that you know, they do heinous things, but you start to really sort of see the character in a more... In- uh, detailed light than simply just an evil person, right? It Would is it is that? helpful to know a little bit about why they are the way they are. I think that makes for a great supervillain, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, like Darth Vader, for example, once you know his backstory. But regardless, I am pulling from Marvel and DC here, and I'm going to go ahead and start with my top. And All that right. is Lex Luthor. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, Lex Luthor, that either doesn't make sense because he's not incredibly powerful he doesn't have superpowers necessarily but you also might be thinking well you love superman of course you like lex luther and i'm just going to go ahead and say lex luther because of the many actors that have played him over time and how well they've sort of made themselves in that role um i think he has a really cool sort of backstory you know of course he's you know a rich kid and whatnot but you know in smallville he was saved by superman they took the take that they were friends at one time and i think that was really cool just to see the relationship sort of be at uh, a bubbling point, you know, going, you know, just sort of spiraling down over time as he realizes Clark's identity. I also think Lex Luthor is cool because they sort of explore his eccentricities. Of course, you know, he's a billionaire and he kind of does look like Jeff Bezos a little bit, doesn't he? Um, Uh (laughs) You know, he's a billionaire. And of course, so he has the means uh, to be able to, he's essentially the evil version of Tony Stark, right? You know, what would happen if somebody with all that money and brain power ended up, you know, uh, terrorizing a city or sort of, you know, fighting a superhero. I think um, all of his actor portrayals have been fantastic. And I think his story that, uh, especially, you know, with his father, how it's very, uh, their relationship is very tumultuous. I think it sort of just leads to a supervillain that is simply just an evil guy without way too much happening to him, but it shows how powerful he can be as a human fighting arguably the most powerful superhero of all time being the arch nemesis wouldn't you agree i would definitely agree 
Yeah. So really cool there. And, you know, of course he has the whole evil stereotype, you know, he's bald and, you know, he's got his, uh, he's always up in his uh, high towers, like scheming and plotting. But I think, you know, the way that he's actually been able to fight Clark Kent slash Superman and, you know, make his mark as one of the first true popular supervillains, it's definitely a title that's earned. So I definitely think Lex Luthor is um, one of the top for me. Interesting. Yeah. Now it's important for us to tell our listeners that like we typically prefer to do, we have not shared our lists with one another. So we will soon find out if we have some overlap. So my number five, I'm going to go ahead and start is Magneto. So Magneto, of course, is from uh, the X-Men comics. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, honestly, before superhero films became what they are today, one hit after another, one release after another there were the x-men films the original x-men films and and they were really kind of amazing and it's not to say that the current ones aren't amazing it's just that they're it was fresh back then and you know magneto sort of rides the fence on good versus evil there are some aspects of him that you you know you sort of appreciate because he is a bit of an ally to some Mm -hmm. of the x-men at some point um but clearly his powers are almost limitless. And I think it's clear from last week's conversation, I like almost limitless powers. I worry about them when they are used for evil. Um, But ultimately, you know, abilities like magnetism, manipulation, defying gravity, um, obviously flight, telepathic attacks, those are those are a little bit more nuanced, I think, than some Mm -hmm. of the other um, superhero or supervillain powers or um, manipulations so for that reason for a lot of reasons not the least of which are the the nuanced powers that he has but also the the way he sort of rides the fence between good and evil in the x-men films Mm -hmm. he uh he makes my top five list yeah um so magneto was number five on my list um and i i I completely agree um and for the sole reason that a YouTube video was uh, recommended to me just a few weeks ago, and it uh-huh. was a couple scenes with Michael Fassbender uh, portraying Magneto in X-Men First Class. And I think that film really solidified uh, his supervillain character to me yeah. because he does have a backstory. Um, I can't remember it like specifically, but I remember there's this one line that really stuck with me. So Kevin Bacon was, this was, you know, sort of showing how Magneto was with Charles Xavier and how he eventually injured him to where he had to be wheelchair bound and whatnot. But um, this sort of uh, this sort of scene stuck with me. So Kevin Bacon is the villain at the end. Spoiler alert, by the way, X-Men First Class. I remember it. I remember the scene you're going to refer to. And he said, you know, he said something along the lines of, you know, we could have been great together. You know, we could have been, you know, we could have been good friends. But he said, but unfortunately, you killed my mother. And then you hear Charles in his earpiece saying, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't uh-huh. like, this, uh-huh. will, this is what will make you cross over into, you know, like, don't become one of them. And he just slowly takes the coin. He says, this is what we're going to do. And then he does the countdown and it goes right through Kevin Bacon's head. That is just the sort of super villain, like scene that really makes an impact on you and um i I think it's just sort of an incredible uh, way to show that magneto is not just pure evil yes of course you know his anger and his hatred like many supervillains and super um even superheroes sometimes can lead them you know to do these terrible things to become what they do but 
it, it's just really incredible to me that he sort of rides the line. He's not an anti-hero. He's not a vigilante or a mercenary, but he has been known to side with the X-Men at some time. So he's an unreliable character too, which I think mm-hmm. really adds to his sort of uh, mystique and how um, you know different he is because magnetic powers are definitely something entirely different than what you would probably expect out of a supervillain. And once you realize how much metal is in the world and how good it is to have <laughs> that power during combat, I mean, we're talking missiles, we're talking yeah. bullets, we're talking buildings, we're talking, I mean... It- and I think that's what's interesting about him um, is just that you don't realize how much he can manipulate because there is so much available for him to manipulate. And that's oh, what yeah. makes it interesting, especially in a battle se- sequence. Uh, so did you say Magneto was your number five? So you started with number one. I'm starting with five. And uh, Magneto's my five. And well, he Magneto says, was the final one that I've listed. Okay. I do All have right. five in total. Okay. I'm going to uh, make my way up a list. It sounds like you're making your way down a list with a with a pit yeah. stop at number five. Sorry okay. to use our listeners. Uh, but uh, yes, my next one will be Scarecrow. That is Jonathan Crane. And that is a DC Batman supervillain. So Scarecrow has been within the comics for a pretty long time. And um, he he's a really unique supervillain because he's he uses fear gas in order to take um, – DC superheroes greatest fears and use them against them there's an amazing game called Batman Arkham Asylum where he's they basically I remember hearing about it where they let out all of the supervillains and there's this one sequence where it looks like the game is freezing and crashing and then it transports you to the sequence where you're in a morgue and Batman goes up to these two tables with a cover on um on each and he lifts it up and it's both of his parents and then he gets transported to this otherworldly place where Scarecrow is just giant. And whenever he, like, actually, it's like a hide-and-seek thing. You have to hide from him. And whenever he finds you, you know, he can take you down. And I think that is what makes Scarecrow so cool because he's just a human. I think, in fact, he's a psychologist. Um, but he knows how people's minds work in terms of being able to predict, like, what they're afraid of and also deeply know them more so than an average person would be. And to an extent, I think that's probably the greatest human supervillain sort of power you can have is simply by being intelligent and understanding your adversary and using fear gas, of course, to sort of make those things come to life really, I mean, honestly, very, very much tests a hero's mettle, you know, especially when it comes to their greatest fears, because you think about Superman or Batman, it's just like, what, they're fearless, right? You know, they're stoic individuals. But no, I mean, even they have to go through trials and tribulations with Scarecrow. So he was the villain of the uh, first Batman movie and the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, thought they kind of underused him a bit, but uh, in other media, he's been sensational. So Scarecrow's uh, going to be another one. Cool. All right. Well, my next one is, uh, well, I'm going to give you some quotes and I'm going to see if you can uh, identify who this is. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks I'm okay, but deep down inside, I need a gun license is that sounds kind of like joker it is joker is that from um is, is that from the actual uh, the 2019 film did you say that it, i sure okay i'm going with that <laughs> uh That's the stuff great. you heard about me was a lie i am more worse than you think everybody everything anybody ever valued or struggled for it's all monstrous demented so why can't you see the funny side why aren't you laughing so these are all, you know, reflective of Joker. Let's be honest. I think in the last 
10, 15 years, we've seen more iterations of Joker than um, I think probably any other supervillain. And that's because he's so incredibly interesting. Um, a lot of people did not like that most recent film with Joaquin Phoenix. I am among those who loved that film, thought it was sure. it made over really, a billion dollars. Really, really interesting. Uh, and, and what a performance. But just just sort of the backstory on how he was mocked. And and uh, I mean, you know, again, we're talking a little bit about how supervillains become who they are. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he has some mental instability um, and, and that sort of takes him down a path of darkness. But um, there's still a lot to be said about Joker. You know, in the Batman series that I, well, it premiered before I was born or when I was very, very young in the 60s. With Adam West? With Adam West. You know, Joker was uh, was a fan favorite. I mean, he's just a caricature of a lot of sad, uh, an amalgamation, that's not the word, a a combination of a a lot of things um, that is really sad and pathetic and and demented and dangerous and violent and all those things. Yeah. And I think that's what makes Joker so interesting. So in each one of the iterations, whether it was the Joker in the Batman series to uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker in uh, the 1989, I think it was Batman film, Mm -hmm. or um, certainly, you know, Heath Ledger, um, I think he won a um, an Oscar yes. post, yes. yeah, um, and then of course Joaquin Phoenix. So there's a lot of material there, and there's a lot of interesting material. And if you put a really exceptional actor in that role, you get what you get: multiple Oscars. So oh, for me, yeah. it's Joker, and he just really confounds Batman, and yeah. that's what I like. Absolutely, and there's uh, you brought up a great talking point: uh, just the multiple iterations of Joker, because at the end of the day. Joker might not look the same in every single format, but the material that they work with is ultimately the same as it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, the cool thing about Joker is that Joker, the 2019 movie, was the first actual, like, origin story, I think, to popular media of the Joker. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. there's no... Joker simply doesn't really have his story explained and it's a very unreliable thing otherwise he's simply mad you know it's not that he was just a regular human being who just went crazy one day it's just a guy who was simply mad and i think it's incredible that you can take you know somebody all the way from the 1960s series where you know he was goofy crazy but you know and then you know did those things to a very nuanced sort of almost like this uh, reflection of how, I guess, young men can be sort of radicalized in like one sort of way if they're pushed too far or pushed to the edge. Um, I, I think there's sort of like, um, um, you know, some message there at least, but in every iteration, he's still wild. He's still crazy. You know, he's mm-hmm. still the Joker. He's still mad, but they take such different ways of doing it. Like Tim Burton had his take, and of course, you know, Christopher Nolan had his take with the Joker and the Dark Knight, and we got Joaquin Phoenix's. Yes, their stories are separate, but the material is still the same thing. And no matter what, he is just pure evil. And um, there's actually a really interesting uh, thing that I read in one of an old, like some older comics. So there's this idea that Batman and Joker need each other, right? You know, they're oh, I read that enemy, too. They're arch enemies, but one cannot truly exist without the other. Yeah. And then there was one where um, it, there's one where it happens where I think uh, like Batman disappeared and Joker didn't have um, 
he didn't have, you know, his arch nemesis. Mm. Like, you know, the irony is that he had no one to taunt. He had no one to taunt, but Batman is perhaps maybe the only thing that's closest to his friend. And uh, so Batman just disappeared. And then Joker lived a normal life and he had like a wife and kids or something like that. And then Batman came back and then Joker like spiraled out again. That was some like, you know, off, I think like a non-canon or whatever's considered canon um, thing that happened in the comics that I read about. But I thought that was interesting because it sort of plays to their relationship. Mm -hmm. Batman is in no way who the Joker is. He doesn't stand for the same things and vice versa, but they need each other. And I'd arguably say that uh, Joker is the definitive supervillain, possibly of all time. Yeah, I have to tell you, I made two lists and he was at the top of my first list, but he he bumped down to number four. Me. fair enough fair enough i actually didn't put joker on my list because i figured you would but yeah, uh, yeah i thought you would too cool all right who's next for you all right so next for me is galactus um this is this is like the only i guess super cosmic entity that i have on the list but um galactus if you may remember was in the 2007 uh fantastic four rise of the silver surfer movie galactus, oh yeah galactus i've forgotten about that movie as a giant dark cloud in that movie because it probably would have been very expensive cgi Uh, galactus is this humanoid looking massive like cosmic figure who has this giant helmet and he eats planets essentially um so don't you (laughs) no but sometimes i feel like i could um (laughs) yeah but galactus is interesting because (laughs) it's so funny it's like thanos or galactus and you know all these other you know these ultimate powerful things they don't really show up until like all the other villains have like you know until the um superheroes have you know fought all the other like things i feel like you know they're always around they're always looming and dangerous but um you know he's a world eater of course and i think silver surfer was his like protege and then eventually saved earth and uh that film but um i i think that's more interesting than thanos because thanos of course he had the power glove um but galactus doesn't care about any sort of life because that's how he feeds you know he would just as soon eat earth as he would eat you know a million other galaxies so i think that represents like you know one of the more interesting very ominous intimidating very scary sort of supervillains who i don't know how you could kill them uh, because there's they they're in space you know especially with some superheroes who can't breathe you know i would imagine that would be <laughs> very difficult so um i've always found galactus very interesting and i hope to see more media portrayed with him it looks as if we're, I saw the, um, I saw another trailer for a Marvel film, uh, I think the Eternals, and it looks like they have something that is akin to Galactus uh, in that. So I'm interested to see how that all turns out. Yeah, but that would be- I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, next on my list is, wait for it, Mm -hmm. Zod. Zod, General Zod. Yeah. So here's the thing with General Zod. Um, you know, there's been a number of iterations of Zod as well, because, you know, in my lifetime, I've seen multiple um, films, uh, Superman films, of course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's always a go to villain for mm-hmm. Superman, and we will not name him at this point in time, because he may or may not be on one of our lists uh, yet to come. But for me, Zod uh, in sort of the Man of Steel um I don't even know if he appeared in Superman versus Batman. That film was so ridiculous. But that aside, <laughs> um, and you know why I say that, yeah, because yeah. there is no contest. There is no contest. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that aside, Zod to me just epitomizes 
the the glory of the Superman films that existed in you know the late 70s early 80s as I was you know 10 12 years old so imagine having seen your first what was your first um, superhero film maybe Iron Man no my first superhero film was Superman remember when we used to go to the library and we used to rent those films oh Superman the movie the 1978 one Yes, and I remember oh, okay. this is this is actually interesting. So yeah. one of my very first childhood memories was being afraid of General Zod because uh-huh. he and his cronies went up to the moon and the astronauts were being nice to them and then he just ripped Rips off their that, patch and then right. they just suffocated in space and you know, four-year-old me was like, Oh my goodness, like we had just watched Flubber, so I was allowed to watch PG movies at this point. Uh-huh. So you watched it with me. But I remember thinking to myself, why would he do that? Like the astronaut didn't do anything to him. Uh-huh. But that scene is always burned in my brain. And I think you can probably expand on why, you know, part of that makes him such a great supervillain. Well, you know, first of all, Superman two is one of my all time favorites. And I understand that it hasn't, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't um, looking at it now and I haven't watched it in many years. Apparently it doesn't really hold up. There's so many great quotes from Terrence Stamp. And I think what's interesting about Terrence Stamp's performance of General Zod is that it's very human. Yeah. Um, you know, and and so, you know, he gets to and I you've heard me quote these over the years. So this is planet Houston because they get to Houston. Yeah. Houston, yeah. And we have a problem, you know, um, and then there's a classic line. I win. I always win. Um, and then there's the the you know, when he meets the president of the United States and the president uh, uh, Zod says kneel before Zod. Mm-hmm. And the president says, "Oh God," and Zod says, "Zod." <laughs> um, so I mean, it's just there's just something human, even though he's Kryptonian, um, but just something appealing about the way he presents himself, even though he's evil. And, and to your mm-hmm. to, to your point, he he literally, you know, he's a, he's a killer, but he is just out to get Kal-El and um, Zod is a memorable character for me. So I'm going with Zod. Didn't love the version of Zod in more recent films, uh, Superman films, but love the 1982 version of Zod from Superman 2. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, I think Terrence Stamp's performance was so definitive that they made him uh, the voice of Clark's father in Fortress of Solitude. In That's Smith. right. That's yeah. right. And um, I think Zod is interesting because of course, He's not human, but he's, I, I guess he would be the greatest, like, you know, sort of um, villain towards Superman because uh-huh. he's a Kryptonian, you know, he does yeah. represent, you know, a lot of what Clark does. So I, I, you know, if Lex Luthor has to be human, then of course Superman has to have his, you know, big Kryptonian uh, foe. So I definitely agree with that. Zod is cool because he's, for a lot of the movies, just kind of discovering and exploring. And his, he his is, you're exactly movie. right. And that That's, is interesting. And- that's what's interesting. It's it's almost like, uh, you know, he's uh, he's a child, yeah, uh, learning and discovering and and condemning and damning and, and things like that. So yeah, he's still. Know. I mean, he's bringing destruction all yeah. over all over the way. So yeah. yeah, all right. Zod was a good pick. Okay, so next up for me, and this will be my final one since we have covered some overlap in the rest of mine, and this is going to be Doc Ock. Um, I think uh, you're killing me. But really, killing me. (laughs) 
Not on my list. Not for sure. I mean, You're for sure. Me false. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So Spider-Man 2 uh, is notoriously uh, my least favorite in the original. Uh, oh, painful. Franchise. But painful. Yeah, it's funny. You didn't like it either. I honestly think the film starts dragging and I don't like the whole plot of I don't want to be a superhero anymore and lose your powers. Like I just don't love that. Yeah, let me just be clear. If I'm going to be a superhero, I'm going to be a superhero. That's what I'm saying. It's my yeah. least favorite subplot. Right. But back to Doc Ock. I think Alfred Molina's performance is just incredible uh, in this movie. And we're talking about supervillains having a backstory, you know, sort of what made them the way they are. And I think Doc Ock has incredible humanity um, because he's Peter's mentor and Peter looks up to him. He's actually very close to Peter and he's an academic. You know, he's been doing research on, you know, something that will possibly win him a Nobel Prize or, you know, advance the uh, sort of, you know, uh, scientific discourse like around what he's doing. And then it all goes wrong and his wife dies and that sort of radicalizes him. You know, he's just like, what's going on? And then like, you know, all the investors like pull out, like, you know, everybody, he's basically defunded and his life for something that he really couldn't control, mm -hmm. his life spirals, you know, uh, it sprouts like crazy. I think Alfred Molina just really pulled this off well. He wasn't, he didn't look inherently evil. He was tender when he needed to be. He had that relationship with Peter that was set up actually very well uh, in the beginning. And I think he's just one of the most enduring Spider-Man villains. You know, part of you would think, okay, yeah, so he has eight arms. Like, you know, he probably doesn't have that very good reach or anything like that, but he can get up buildings. And let me tell you, Spider-Man isn't incredibly super. Of course, he's got some great strength and um, he can zip around the city on webs. But when you're facing somebody who has arms that can think for themselves and there's eight of them that can fight against you and then there's another human who already wants to fight you as well, he's a pretty formidable foe. So I, I think that uh, with the trailer of uh, Spider-Man into the multiverse or whatever the new one is, uh, that's super exciting to see Alfred Molina coming back. And I think that we're going to see uh, Andrew Garfield as well. And I think we're also going to see Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. So um, I might actually revisit uh, the Spider-Man franchise just to see that movie. It might be interesting. I, I like that they're doing that. So I may end up, you know, even though I'm not a big Spider-Man fan, you know I'm in. I'm always in for these. Oh, um, and if you haven't seen it, Spider-Man uh, into the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man. That's what I hear. That's what you keep. That's what you keep saying. I got to check that out. It's incredible. Even if you don't like animation, oh my goodness, it is just such a fantastic film. I mean, one of those ones that only comes around every you know five years or so. Mm -hmm. but it was. It was that good. All right. Cool. All um, right. I've got. I've got two left. Actually, this happened last week too. So I don't know what's going on here. But well, let me I think we ahead. had an overlap, and I also went over. Um, mine when uh you listed yours so okay the case. all right well my number two is loki loki and i bet you wouldn't have said that five years ago i would not have said that probably eight years ago before the first thor film in fact i didn't honestly know loki before the first thor film i'm just that's why the marvel cinematic universe is winning because they yeah take those kinds of characters and make them cool well and then we talked about this last week and we'll talk about it again right here and right now it's all about casting Oh, and yeah. Tom Hiddleston is, I mean, fairly or unfairly, fortunately or unfortunately, Tom Hiddleston will always be known for playing Loki oh, because he's that good at it. Um, so, I mean, obviously he's Thor's wildly jealous brother. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it, the way he plays him, 
there's so much humor to him, uh, mm -hmm. but there's also so much, I mean, honestly, fan dedication to him. He is the quintessential supervillain that you love. Absolutely. And, you know, he's, he's a god, but he's He's also, frustrating as anything. Yeah, he's like... You can't help but love him. It's exactly. It's like Greek mythology. You know, yeah. he's a god, but he's incredibly flawed. He's very yeah. imperfect. And like what you were saying uh, with one of your other supervillains, he kind of rides the line between being a hero and being a villain sometimes. Like, yeah. that's kind of what... Usually, you know, he has a grand scheme. You can't ever trust him, though, right? Exactly. You can't ever trust him, which makes him very interesting. But sometimes, I mean, I guess if it's in his interest you know, he will uh, help the cause for the greater good. It's just whatever benefits him the most, which I think, especially when you're manipulating and you, you know, have those mind games, just like Scarecrow, he's, I mean, you know, he's very powerful in that, right? You know, he doesn't need to be able to lift a house in order to do that. He can simply just, you know, trick you. And that is the basis of his character. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. No, big fan of Loki. Now, my number one favorite supervillain, Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor. Now we Fantastic. all know, we all know I'm a big Superman fan. Already talked about that last week. Already included Zod in my top five list here. But what's not to love about Lex Luthor? I mean, clearly crazy, uh, clearly obsessed with mm -hmm. Superman, um, clearly self absorbed, clearly narcissistic. Oh, yeah. But also, once again, clearly human. Mm hmm. And the portrayals of Lex Luthor through the uh, films that I've watched during my lifetime have all been honestly pretty standout. Uh, and they, they vary from one to the other. I mean, Gene Hackman's portrayal back in the 70s and 80s oh, yeah. of Lex Luthor, just, I mean, one, one uh, role, a role for the ages and, and the way he did that. Um, Kevin Spacey, everything that has happened to Kevin Spacey or that he has done or you know um been accused of doing right exactly his his portrayal of lex luther is is captivating yeah. um so and isn't it jesse eisenberg or something it is jesse eisenberg did yeah. you like jesse eisenberg's less lex luther I, I publicly it was pretty a reviled. lot of people a lot of people did not but i thought i liked it, I liked it too um it was Lest a departure about... from the other two. It was a departure from Gene Hackman or, or Kevin Spacey. But that's what I liked about it, too. So um, I, I think there's three interesting portrayals, I think, obviously, from our, our um, affinity for um, Smallville. Uh, yeah, I said, yeah, I just want to say never. Michael Rosenbaum is a fantastic, fantastic Lex Luthor. I don't think I've ever been more gripped by a, you know, a villain's performance, like an actor's performance in that right. way. He was, he, I mean, he had a veteran sort of charisma to him. Yeah. That was, I mean, you know, way I honestly years. think there's something about that character that allows actors to really, um, I don't know, get inside of that character and you know really why? elicit a, a certain uh, feeling. Why? Because I think... Lex Luthor, to an extent, represents what who we would all be if we were to be that smart and have uh -huh. that much wealth. You know, I, I mean, I don't want to say every person who has that kind of wealth is a, like, you know, an evil person. But the fact of the matter is, you don't think like other people, you don't live like other people. So I think right. it's just talking about, you know, we see him as a supervillain. But I think the uh, reason people are able to portray him so well is because you know if we didn't really have uh 
if money wasn't an issue and consequences for our mistakes usually weren't an issue, then I feel like we would be this egomaniac, you know, this mm -hmm. guy who just, you know, throws money at everything is always successful and, you know, is fighting Superman. You know, I, I just, I feel like to an extent, we, I mean, you know, we'll never understand what that's like one day, I'm sure, but it's very interesting to see because I feel like you could get into his head because it's possible, right? It's not possible to be Doc Ock. It's not possible to be right. Galactus. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Here's a, just a, a quick uh, summary. Lex Luthor's hate for Superman comes from his envy. And I think that's to some degree what we've been saying. Superman reminds Lex of everything that he can never be. Mm -hmm. Superman doesn't get sick. He can make fire come out of his eyes. He can fly at higher speeds than any man-made aircraft can ever do. And when you are as filthy rich as Lex Luthor, you are accustomed to, to your point, being able to do and say and mm -hmm. uh, important, not hopefully not say, but do whatever you whatever money can buy. Yep. Money can't buy those things that Superman his abilities. So uh, that mm -hmm. just makes uh, Lex hate Clark and well Superman that much more. So anyway, that's my top five. It's uh, Magneto, Joker, Zod, Loki, Lex Luthor, Chris Great. Davis. I'm looking forward to a text from you to find out what what you think uh, <laughs> and who your top five are. Yeah, and I mean this list can be very diverse for each person. You know, yeah. um, I think a lot of people would probably agree that these are within just sort of the top uh, supervillains, but mm -hmm. you know, everybody's list looks different, just like the superheroes as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, that is our main segment for today. But we're going to uh -huh. move right into the check this out section. So um, I'll go ahead and go first real quick. Okay. Um, on HBO Max, this is something you and I can actually do as well. Um, on HBO Max. Uh, there will be a horror movie releasing named Malignant, uh, Malignant, and it comes out on September 10th. Uh, did you did you get my email? I, I sent you the link to that on oh, Friday or so Saturday. A, so a friend of mine uh, asked me a couple weeks ago if uh, uh, I would want to watch it with him uh, uh, when it did drop. Uh, so it was on my radar, but I also did see your email too. Okay. Um, it's directed by James Wan, who is famously yes. known for Saul and uh, Aquaman and Dead Silence, and uh, he's at a couple Fast and Furious films too. I mean, this guy really has quite the eclectic uh, mix of uh, directorial credits. Mm -hmm. But I'm interested in oh, The Conjuring and Insidious as well. Um, both, I think, The Conjuring one and two, and I think just the first Insidious. You're not winning me over here when you say The Conjuring. Sorry. Well, regardless, <laughs> right. Well, regardless, you know, he is an interesting director. He doesn't just, you know, stay within one genre. He dips his toes in a lot of things. And I think he mm -hmm. has a lot of talent for that reason. Um, I mean, Saul was something out of nothing. Probably the one of the earlier examples of how independent filmmaking could, you know, go on to a great career. Um, but Malignant comes out on September 10th. And uh, check it out if you are an HBO Max subscriber and you love horror. Uh, you know we already do here at DV Talk. So, yep. Okay, my uh, check it out is also a TV show because apparently that's all I do: that's <laughs> podcast and work uh, and run. Um, and it's Only Murders in the Building. So, Only Murders in the Building is a show on Hulu, mm -hmm. and it stars uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. How old is Steve as, Martin now? He is uh, seventy-six, I think. I. Uh, I oh really? I read, I yeah, and cool. Martin Short is seventy-one, mm. and there it's really entertaining. Um, here, the premise is that they live in an apartment building, all three of them, mm. and they don't really know each other. And then there's a murder in the apartment building, and they're all podcast enthusiasts. 
And so because they are trying to solve the, the, the murder or the crime, they develop their own podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, and so as, pod, as a podcaster myself uh, and a big fan of podcasts in general, it's entertaining. And I'm a huge Martin Short fan. I really like Steve Martin. Um, Selena Gomez is fine. It, it, she's, a, she's a nice compliment to them because they are, you know, stars of a different era. Um, and then Amy Ryan from, um, from the office is in it too. Cool. Uh, so it's, it's entertaining. There are three episodes up now. And, uh, so they'll release one episode a week for obviously several weeks, but check it out. It's very entertaining. It's not laugh out loud, funny. There are some amusing moments, um, but it's an interesting premise. And of course, all three of them are executive producers and it's, it's the whole concept was developed by Steve Martin. So anyway, check it out. Only murders in the building. Interesting. Well, that's a that's a really cool concept, actually. Yeah. And Selena Gomez is, seems like a, an interesting choice too, because it seems like she's working alongside some industry veterans there. But I've seen her popping up in uh, more stuff outside of music, and I mean, I think she uh, cut her teeth with acting um, with Wizards of Waverly Place on Disney. Oh, uh, was she on a, a Disney show or something? Yeah, yeah, I, she was. She was a Disney star. And I think I read too, and I don't know if this is just for you know for us to to think about, but that Steve Martin and Martin Short, because they are of a certain age, mm -hmm. um, could obviously be her grandfather, mm -hmm. fathers. Um, they really enjoyed working together. And I really like the fact that, you know, they perhaps thought, okay, what's it going to be like to work with someone from a, a different generation? Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, I think putting the three of them together certainly brings in multiple audiences so oh yeah definitely all right yeah. i'm actually gonna have to check that out that's it is good it's, it's entertaining and the shows are the episodes are like 30 minutes which you know where can you all find about. it hulu hulu okay hulu okay all right sounds great all right thank you so much for listening to another episode of zz talk i'm noah i'm greg and, and this uh, is zz talk, ZZ talk. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to start saying it like really early i feel like <laughs> Next week. We're going to get it next week. All right. Thanks, y'all. Right.